Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Good Morning New York. It is my pleasure to be here with you all today. I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blastoff Studios in Times Square as usual. A very exciting show here today. We did this last year, about exactly a year ago. My question is, what is a rising star? In New York real estate, it takes time to earn success. The real deal actually says they brokered billions of dollars in deals, they've broken records and launched companies in some cases, and they all have done this in a cutthroat and unforgiving industry that is not known for being kind to novices. I've also said, I personally said, that if you can survive in this business for three to five years, then you will find your niche and it can be truly a rewarding career. Most of the very successful agents in town are over the age of 35. So how does this group of stars do it all under the age of 35? My co-host today is Jason Meister. He was a rising star last year, and I will talk to one of the newly chosen for 2014 this morning. His name is Michael Graves. But first, Jason, who was guest, who has guested on my show several times in the last year, is a vice president at Avison Young, a commercial real estate firm, and he works in the Capital Markets Group, where he is engaged in the marketing and disposition of investment-grade property. Our star today, Michael Graves, struck gold last year when he brokered one of the largest residential deals in the city. This was a $53 million full-floor apartment at 157 West 57th Street, as we call that boulevard Billionaire's Row. In November of 2009, Michael burst onto the real estate scene, shattering price per square foot records in luxury buildings citywide. Within two years, he um, he recorded over $100 million in single-unit resale transactions, wow, and became known as one of New York City's most honest, sincere, <clears throat> and knowledgeable brokers. In fact, Douglas Elliman, his company's CEO, Dottie Herman, said, upgrades in a public statement to the real deal, quote, Michael is the real deal. He's savvy, knowledgeable, and he knows the New York City market inside and out. Good morning, Michael, and good morning, Jason. Good morning, Vince. Okay, so, Michael, you come from a real estate family to begin with. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in a place called um, St. Cloud, Minnesota. I grew up in a place called St. Cloud, Minnesota, and um, this is uh, about an hour north of Minneapolis. I know it well. Fifty thousand. Really? You know St. Cloud, Minnesota? I wow. do. I, well, welcome home. Why do you know St. Cloud, Minnesota? <laughs> <laughs> I actually worked for a, a technology company called Control Data, and they were headquartered out in, um, oh gosh, right outside of St. Cloud, Minnesota. We used to fly into Minneapolis, St. Paul. I spent a lot of time out there. Excellent. Well, I think nice you might place. be the first person I met in Manhattan that knows <laughs> St. Cloud, Minnesota. I'm trying to think of the name of the town. It'll come to me before we finish. Excellent. But so you grew up there and... I did. Okay. So um, actually, I kind of grew up in the hospitality industry. My father um, developed uh, small motels in between kind of... Uh, grade A markets, and um, he built about 30 of those, maybe 37 of them before he sold that uh, company and um, started developing larger product like uh, Marriott's and Radisson's and things like this. So I really grew up in, the, in both real estate but hospitality, and I remember early on in my life kind of, you know, on Sunday mornings dressing up and going and bell hopping for tips and things like that. So I have a hospitality b- background, and I bring that to real estate as much as I can. Now I understand why everybody says you're so likable. Hospitality is not easy to conquer. Um, you started at Core Real Estate, you know, a couple of years back, beginning uh, and immediately rose to become a top producer at that firm. How did you do that? Take us, take us through how someone enters the business, really with no real estate experience or background, uh, to becoming top, one of the top brokers 
in that firm and in New York City. Quite well, you know, I, I, it's, if I had to go back and do it again, I tell people I'm not sure I could, and then everybody who knows me and works with me says, oh, yeah, you could. But um, it's not easy to do that. And actually, you know, I found early on in my, in my career, um, first of all, I had a lot of fire in, in my belly. I was very tenacious about making things happen. I had just uh, been blessed with twin boys that are now five and a half years old. And uh, I had a real, um, how can I say, uh, yearning to make it quick. And I, so because of that, I was very focused and always looking for opportunity. But yes, I had no uh, actual real connections to Manhattan and my background is music. So most of my uh, network, you know, were living in little studio apartments that they were renting for $500, you know. So it was very difficult. But I was looking for opportunity every, at every turn, stirring up the dust as much as possible and kind of uh, basically seeking out opportunity whenever, uh, whenever I could. You know, it's interesting. Six years in the business. <clears throat> I've got 14 in the business. And my question to you is, you know, you started strong out of the box, but what does it take to become a top producing agent in the city when I think we talked about it before we went on the air? 25, 30,000 agents in this town. Wow. What does it take to become a top producer? Because well, this is what this article in Real Deal is all about. This is why you're one of like, four or five or six people out of everybody in New York City under yeah. 35 years old. And, and Vince, before you go on, the real deal actually called me um, and, and asked me for names. And it's so difficult because there's so many brokers out there. I mean, I know in the residential world there's there's so many. In the commercial world, there's so many. So how right. do you differentiate yourself and really rise to the top? Well, you know, I'd say there's, there's really no um, magic formula for this. I think, you know, if you went back and looked at how I made it, um, every deal was unique to itself. I mean, I found a townhouse seller just walking down the street, you know, saw a 65-year-old man gardening in the front of his house, and I thought, there's no way that guy doesn't own that house. Nobody hires a 65-year-old, to, you know, to, to do uh, gardening. So I started talking to him, and, you know, lo and behold, that led to a deal. Um, about six months later, I sold that house for $8.3 million. So you have to be willing and able to make deals happen quickly, and you have to be able to connect with people. This is really an industry that's um, everything to do about human nature and psychology. So if you're good at connecting with people and bringing people together, you can be very successful. Um, but again, there's no one thing that you know you can point to to say, oh, this guy's going to be you know a star in real estate and Teller actually tried and tested. I think you have to be able to make deals and bring people together uh, and you have to have a niche, and I think something about you that sets you apart um, is maybe the it factor. I mean, a lot uh, of what happens in the residential side of real estate, you have to know your market well. You have to know what's uh, where the market's going. You have to know the submarket you're in. You have to know the product you're selling. Uh, but you also have to be able to connect and bring people together, and um, you have to be able to negotiate on a very high level and under a lot of pressure. On the heels of that, you credit part of your success to razor-sharp marketing skills and very delicate negotiation skills. Right. Tell us about that. Right. Well, you know, there's a lot of um, <clears throat> brokers who are successful who have different uh, ways of negotiating. My particular way of negotiating is very delicate. Um, I like to win people over. If I'm working with, if there's a broker involved in the transaction, I like to diffuse any tension, take the uh, ego out of it as much as I can and as quickly as possible, usually by making them laugh um, or finding some other connection. And then once you get the ego out of the way, and you have uh, just the transaction at hand, you can really make magic. So um, for me, delicate negotiations is more about winning people over and uh, having fun with the transaction. Um, and of course, earning the trust of the person on the other side of the table is extremely important. And listening, you have to be able to listen and understand your audience, know your audience. So that's that. The razor-sharp marketing... Um, I've, I think I was lucky, uh, maybe in just having traveled the world and always had, had a love for architecture and interior design. 
So, um, you know, I've been told that my images are extremely beautiful. I do a lot of editing and I do a lot of staging and I, you know, will rearrange rooms to make sure they show in the best possible light. So you get personally involved with this? Every single step of the way. In fact, you know, I've, I've staged entire townhomes. I've, I've put my own money into my listings oftentimes. Um, I get my own skin in the game. I like doing that because it shows that I'm, that I'm real and I'm going to make this happen. And, um, and luckily I've been able to do that um, um, often more, more than not, obviously. So tell me a little bit about 157 West 57th Street, <laughs> $53 million deal, one of the biggest deals in the year. You know, how do you broker a deal like that? You, know, you don't have to divulge your customer, but you know, what type of, of person and profile buys that expensive apartment on what we call now billionaire's row. West yeah, so a billionaire, a billionaire does. <laughs> a billionaire does. <laughs> a billionaire does. Of course. No, really, actually, um, when this um, came to my desk, it was a buyer who was maybe going to spend in the 15 to $20 million range and had um, been given my name through my network. Um, and I was vying for that business and made a relationship with his wealth manager and um, ultimately had determined that the best fit for this buyer was this building. And, um, you know, putting that deal together is a very long, arduous process, and you lose a lot of sleep at night doing it, but you have a lot of fun. And um, at the end of the day, uh, my, my uh, buyers um, are extremely excited about this place. They'll maybe spend four nights there a year, and the rest of the time they'll be putting up their friends and uh, family. Very interesting. When you're at, <clears throat> at Core Group, you appeared on several episodes of HGTV Selling New York. Did that help you with your business going forward? You were very good on that show, by the way. Oh, thank you. But um, did it help you in your business going forward? You know, I, I think it probably did. You know, if I went back and looked at it, um, in those days, reality TV was, I think, um, more reality than it is nowadays. Um, a lot of the, the episodes I starred on, I mean, every episode I starred on, I had no idea how it was going to end when we started filming. You know, I'd be vying for a listing, I'd get the listing, um, and then would we sell it or would we not? And frankly, they didn't care when we they took on the project and said, let's do this episode. We like the, you know, we like the story, whatever it was. We really didn't know how it was going to end. And while on a show, I was able to close every deal and break records doing so. So over the course of four episodes, I closed five deals and broke, I think, four records. So, I, I mean, certainly it helped my, my career. Um, I, I, obviously, how could it not? Is that show still in production? I haven't been able to find it anywhere. I'm not quite sure if it's even um, No, it's, it's no anymore. longer in production. Um, I think it stopped production maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half. Gotcha. And um, I guess it still airs because I still get looks on the subway from people and apparently uh, it's, they keep replaying it or something like this. I asked this of Jason uh, Meister here last year, but what, and I'll ask you, what drives you to success every day when you wake up? Is it money? Is it power? or position in the industry? None of the above. Oh, come on, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm a, I definitely am a very competitive person, but um, I, you know, I, I approach this industry with a lot of humility. And it's interesting, if you look at the top, there are some really great brokers, and a lot of them are driven by ego. And if you ask them, they'll tell you. They'll literally say, I, I, what drives you? They'll say, ego. And for me, this is more about humility. I, I, um, I do this to feed my family. I'm a very passionate musician. And, um, you know, I did my double master's degree in music and walked away from that to feed my family and come into real estate. So I approach this every day with a, um, a, a very strong sense of humility. And frankly, even when you're closing a $53 million deal, for me, for whatever reason, it's very hard to get my ego involved. You seem to be good at staying on the top, though, you know, despite all of the, you know, the above. How, you know, how easy or how difficult is it to stay on top of your game in a game where there are many, many, many agents, as we talked about before, and, you know, there are lots of su successful agents as well? It's very easy. 
I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to buy that one at all. No, you know, it's a. Let's just put it this way: it's a 24-hour operation; it never ends. And um, you know, I'm I'm constantly doing the same thing I did the first day I was in the industry, looking for opportunity every mm-hmm. turn and making sure that I I, I see the opportunity. A lot of a, a lot about this um, business and being successful is being able to see the opportunities. And in this town. I think there's a lot of low-lying fruit everywhere you go. If you're able to actually identify it and then find your way to it and then win that over, um, you can be very successful. But trust me, that's not an easy thing to do. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm texting and writing emails and talking about contracts deep into the night. And I'll be up in the morning at 7 on my phone, you know, 15 emails in. And it never really ends. So I call the, the broker's life the broken life. Mm. So in the brokerage business, I find I've always found that goal-setting is an integral part of of a broker's success. So as you rise to the top, do you have any techniques that allow you to succeed in attaining your goals as far as goal setting? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to goal setting, I think um, in my case, it's just always more. You know, it's it's I, I would like to always make, um, you know, produce more year over year. And um, so to do that, you have to be very strategic. You have to be sort of going full court press all the time. So right. we're looking for new ways to generate business, whether it be, um, you know, uh, uh, sponsoring events or, um, you know, doing mailers or collateral or coming on to a really great program like this. Whatever you can do to get your name out there and be in front of people and continue to keep it relevant is very important. And so in terms of the goal setting, though, I think it, as long as I – Early on, my first three years, I doubled my business year over year. Last year, I sold $180 million worth of real estate, so that's going to be more and more difficult for me to do now. But, um, but we, you know, we, we're, we're taking steps to make sure that we're more successful. And as time goes on, you create a tribe of people who are ambassadors for your business. And I'm very lucky now, having kind of delivered results for a lot of people in this industry, to have some extremely strong ambassadors behind me who want to see me succeed and who are kind of power players, players in the uh, real estate realm. Talking well, about, sorry, hold, talking hold on a minute, Jason. Well said, but we have to take a break. We are coming back right after these messages. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. 
Thank you for coming back, everybody. We're here with Michael Graves, and we're here with Jason Meister, who was co-hosting with me today, and we're talking about uh, top rising stars in New York City real estate for 2014. So, Michael, we were just talking about goal setting. Um, also, another uh, facet of brokerage business, time management. Um, do you, you know, being able to manage your time effectively as a broker, is that something that you have a lot of you focus on? I mean, Absolutely. talk to us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. Well, first of all, I have, I have no time. So, you know, interestingly, <laughs> I've got a team of seven people, and they almost never see me. And when they do, they're usually like, you know, trying to grab me on my shoulder to keep me from, you know, running off. So, you know, in the early days, for me, I was very focused. And I remember people kind of hanging around the uh, water cooler talking shop and kind of just, you know, gossiping. And I always thought, geez, those people are not going to go anywhere. Um, you know, you got to get your business done by moving. So any moment that you're not getting closer closing a deal or making a new relationship that's going to lead to a deal, you're wasting time. So, and I think that, uh, yeah, time management is everything. I think by nature, I'm a person who just likes to be productive. And so I don't waste a lot of time. When I go into the office, I'm in and out in a matter of 15 minutes. I go in, I shoot 15, 25 emails off and I run back out to the field, wherever I'm going, whether it be a business meeting, a pitch or whatever it is. And um, so, you know, now over time, it's like, uh, you know, I've got the back of the house managing a lot of the things that need to be done, whether it's board packages or getting back to someone on, you know, an item about a property. So yes, time management is extremely important. And, you know, if you're trying to build a business, particularly it's important because, you know, again, you've got to get yourself, um, you've got to get yourself on the dance floor. You've got to be making deals happen. There's only one way to do that. And that is to chase it and be on top of it at all times. On the heels of that, I wanted to ask you to take us through a typical day in your in your very busy life, in the office, out of the office. When you get up in the morning, how do you start your day? Yeah, that's in, and how do you end it? <laughs> I mean, I would like to. I mean, honestly, I think any broker who kind of lives the, uh, this life will tell you that there's no two days that are the same, um, and that is true. But I would say that you know we're up early. Uh, I like to work out before I go to bed at night. Others would do that in the morning. But, you know, I will wake up. I'll have maybe 15, 20 emails that need to get out immediately. I'll eat, you know, something small, get a little coffee, and I'll run to my first appointment. Um, and, you know, that might be a pitch. That might be a closing. That might be a, a breakfast meeting with someone who, um, who has a friend who's got some real estate needs. It could be anything. But usually it's meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting until about 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And I get home. Hopefully I see my family and my kids for a little bit. I get back on my email again, work out, and then go to sleep. I mean, that's really how it is. Yesterday, I pitched uh, two properties. Today, I'm pitching a big one at Time Warner, um, you know, and pre preparing for these things. And any time that you have in between these meetings, uh, you should be really basically following the trades, reading the market, looking at the market. I spend a lot of time in the field. I'm not in the office very much. Uh, when I'm at my desk, it's for very specific reasons. I don't sit on the on the internet and read curbed. Sorry, curbed. I just don't waste time. I'm just always focused on how do I get my next deal? How do I close the deal that I'm doing? Who do I need to get back to at this time? And to be honest with you, there's always about 75 people that want to talk to me. And then there's about, you know, at any given moment, and there's probably 150 or 200 that I need to talk to. And it's a matter of balancing those things out and trying to find out what do I need to do first and, uh, and then doing that. Michael, do you have a chief of staff to deal with your your seven team members? I mean, how do you communicate with these these folks, guys we're, and gals? You know, we're on the day? we're on the we're on the phone, texting, uh, emailing, and, mm -hmm. and interfacing pretty much all the time. Um, you know, um, and then I have my personal assistant, and everybody has a role on the team that they're playing. So, um, you know, even if we are unable to, uh, you know, communicate for twenty four, forty eight hours, there's still things happening. Um, I'm actually in the process of of 
doing some uh, work and getting some uh, more administrative people on, on my team because there's just a lot of new development coming down the pipe and a lot of other things and we're going to need more. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, uh, is always, it's hard to find good talent in this town, actually. It's interesting coming from a small town in middle America. Um, you think you come to New York and there's going to be talent everywhere and people available. And the truth is it's not true. Um, it's very hard to find good talent. I'm very lucky to have an extremely talented, smart, and, and uh, passionate team. Talking about a team, when you entered the business, did you have a mentor yourself when you first started? I had, you know, I was lucky. To, I, I would say that I had a couple mentors, you know. I mean, uh, for one thing, my father uh, was always in real estate and I grew up in the boardroom, you know, playing with my toys while he was doing deals and that kind of got the uh, dinner table uh, real estate education and it's ingrained in my DNA. Um, and then, you know, close people in my life, friends and family, not always within the real estate realm. In fact, I think some of the best advice you can get is from people who do not work in real estate. And I think to be successful in this, this industry, you should be uh, three-dimensional. And um, that's going to allow you to connect to people. So I sometimes go to professors and talk to them about what's going on in my business. I talk to, you know, close friends, um, some you know, my musician friends, my wife. Um, there's always someone you can talk to that will help you kind of see things in a new way. And if you can step back and look at things from a global perspective, you usually get a lot more clarity. Tell us about the developments at Walker Tower and Stella Tower that you're representing the developers and selling, correct? Well, so this is, you know, these are two of the most beautiful buildings. Ralph Walker, sort of the godfather of uh, Art Deco architecture here in New York, was the, um, the architect who built these buildings for New York Telephone Company, Walker Tower being built in 1929 and Stella being built in, I think, 1927. Um, I have right now a listing, probably the best listing anywhere downtown at Walker Tower on a high floor. On the 18th floor, it's about 7,000 square feet interior, 1,000 square feet exterior with views in all directions protected for uh, eternity. And, um, you know, that's a $44.5 million listing. It's worth literally every penny. The, this building is done so well. You have radiant floor heat throughout. You have full restaurant system, humidification controls. You can control the exact humidity and temperature of every room independently. And then you look out onto the world. You can see the Statue of Liberty. You see the Financial District and One World Trade Center. You look north. You see the Empire State Building, every iconic building in Midtown. It's a very, very wow uh, type of apartment. And as you said, view protected uh, forever. For, view is protected yeah. forever because uh, it happens to be in a place that's not zoned uh, to allow um, anybody to build up above basically the 8th to 10th floor. And Walker Tower is, you know, towering way above that. So you have all these views in all directions. Stella Tower, we're now about 80% sold. Um, beautiful, uh, also similar product, same developers um, in a, a very exciting up and coming location um, in, in Hell's Kitchen, just a few blocks from where we are now. And, um, you know, we came to market and sold very, very quickly. Beautiful finishes, small bone kitchens, gorgeous views, also protected views. Um, different product, uh, different neighborhood, um, same developers, but both are exciting projects and very, very uh, high quality. Do you remember your first deal? Your first listing? Yes, I actually do. My first, my first deal was... Can we was, take you back that far? Yeah, I mean, that's totally fine. I mean, again, my first year in the industry, if I, I always say if I had to go back and do it again, I'm not sure I could. But the first deal I closed was a penthouse, 240 Park Avenue South, 15A. And, um, you know, I had very few connections in this world. So the, whatever connections I had, I was always reaching out to. And my, this, this young guy, who's actually about three, four years younger than me, had a uh, cell phone distribution company. I knew he was wealthy. I didn't know what he owned, if he owned 
real estate, I really didn't know. So I was sending him information on the market and everything else. And he kept kind of, you know, responding very nicely. Oh, thank you for sending me this. It's very interesting. So I just very tenaciously kind of went after this guy. And I thought maybe it would lead to a rental or something. Maybe he had some kind of, you know, property that he needed help with. I didn't really know. And um, after a while, he started asking me more and more specific questions. What about Gramercy? What about Park Avenue South? What about, you know, what's happening here? What are the two bedrooms going for? I had really no idea what was going on. Um, we went, you know, I went out to dinner with him. I kind of won him over basically. And he said, Michael, I have this apartment. I don't know what it is about you, but I got a feeling about you. I think you're the guy. Can you go over and take a look at it? Just tell me what you think. Give me a call when you get there. I go to 240. I think I'm going to walk into a studio apartment or a one bedroom or something. I, I, the doorman hands me the keys. He says, you're going to the penthouse. I go to the penthouse. I open it up. Huge, beautiful apartment, 1,000 square foot terrace overlooking Gramercy Park. He said, do you want to sell this, Michael? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> and he said, all right, well, then do it. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, just do it. Just sell it. And, and he basically stepped back and gave me the keys and said, whatever you want to do to sell that apartment, do it. I listed it for just about $2,600 per square foot. In those days, that those was an days. unheard of number. Yeah. Um, most of the brokerage community was you know, scratching their heads saying, you'll never get it done. This apartment was in pretty poor condition, actually, because the tenant he had in place had been partying there and stiletto heel markings everywhere and the walls were chewed up and everything else. Um, and I just, I, out of sheer grit and tenacity, I think I got this deal done. I was able to, 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 uh, place to a direct buyer, um, a fraction off the full asking price. Uh, we sold that for 25, 30 per square foot. And, um, you know, one of the things that I did in selling, it was pretty innovative and it ended up on that selling New York show. I, um, hired an architect to do interior renderings of what could be done in every room. And then I projected them on the walls in the apartment. So when you walk into the apartment, you say, you look at this part, oh, this is disgusting. I'd turn on the projector and you would look on the wall in a large projection, what could be done in the room. And then you look at the room, and you see it completely differently. I was told that it had never been done before and it, you know, helped me sell the project. So I like to be innovative and do things that are creative. I think that's just because of my background. And so I'm always looking for ways to sell property that's outside the box and, you know, that was a pretty exciting deal. It uh, was, uh, what, you know, 5.85, and I uh, represented both sides, so the commission was pretty nice. That kind of made me feel pretty good about the industry, actually. Well, I, I'd say. I'd sure. say. <laughs> actually, I just want to touch on something. You were bringing up price per square foot, 25, 2600. Yeah. Now we're talking about numbers that are even well, well north of that. Astronomical, yes. And, you know, what I do, some, some of what I do, selling development sites here in Manhattan, we're selling land at prices that you sold condos for. It's insane. So if we're selling land at 1500 a foot, just a little bit about the market. What ha What's your take on where we're headed? I mean, I'm, I'm personally a little bit nervous. I think I'm getting pushback. Lenders are giving us pushback on the prices and the, the depth of that market. So talk a little bit. You know, it's that. easy to get nervous because prices have gone up so much. I mean, they've more than doubled since I first got in the industry. But then if you look at the uh, insatiable appetite for New York internationally, the fact that a lot of these international markets are not as stable as we are, we're still the epicenter of the world financial markets. And on a per square foot basis, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're a good buy for, say, someone coming from Singapore or Hong Kong or someone coming from uh, London, 
And so the international markets see New York as a safe haven for their money, and that's driving the Uber high end um, to even higher numbers. And how sustainable it is is anyone's guess. I mean, I, you know, if, uh, I would never be able to predict the future. I think even the smartest uh, economists don't know where this is going. But there's not a lot in the tea leaves that tells us this is going anywhere but up. And I think that's what is making the domestic market have a hard time keeping up. I think because you know it's true. We've got things now on 57th Street that are going to be selling for nine, ten, even twelve thousand per square foot. And, um, you know, it's kind of yet to be seen whether or not we can sustain that and if we can keep the velocity up. Um, but we're seeing a lot of deals and we continue to transact. Even at Stella Tower, we're selling things at $3,000 per square foot. That's, that is Hell's Kitchen. So, um, you know, amazing. it is amazing. amazing. And at Walker Tower, you know, I was interviewed <clears throat> by the Daily News yesterday and I, I told them I, I foresee Walker Tower selling at $10,000 per square foot in the future. We'll see, uh, we'll see different markets. We'll see cycles. But New York has traditionally gone up, um, goes down, but it comes back up and it comes, goes even higher. So, I mean, there's no, there's, there's no evidence to show that New York is going to go down. If you're a short-term player, you might be taking some risk. But if you can hold for a while, you're going to make money on this market. Michael, we have a couple of minutes left. And I wanted to touch on the, the fact that you are a classical guitarist and a composer and your work uh, has been performed at Carnegie Hill and Lincoln Center. How does that feel? I mean, obviously you've got it all. Well, I don't <laughs> know. That's that. very nice of you. But, I, you know, it feels um, slightly depressing because I have very little time for music these days. Um, I hope that Dottie and Howard Lorber are not listening right now. But, um, you know, I like to get back to music uh, eventually. And I think a big part of my entering this industry was just simply to, to, to raise, uh, give my kids opportunity in life and to give them, uh, you know, a, a higher quality of life. And as a composer, it was basically um, clear to me that that was not going to be possible. So, um, you know, you're writing music for world-class musicians and making 10 cents an hour. Uh, those commissions don't look very good in, in comparison to what I make on a commission in real estate. So that's what brought me into this business. But, um, um, uh, it's you know I, I really enjoy um, my relationships with musicians and I love going to concerts and this still happens to be not just the epicenter of the world financial markets but also the epicenter of culture uh, and music in the world. So New York is a very exciting place to be. So you know even if you're not doing everything you want to on your on a daily basis, it's still a very fun city to be living in and working in. Well, you've certainly conquered both music and composing and real estate. Michael, thank you so much. I wish you continued success in your career. Come back and see us again. I would love to. Thank you, Vin. <laughs> Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. And I wanted to say thank you once again to Michael Graves and to Jason Meister, uh, who helped me co-host this morning, uh, both top rising stars in New York City real estate, kudos, and much more success. So are you wondering how much you need to make to live in New York City to rent an apartment in Manhattan? The data below is based on the March 2015 rental market report for Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens, which were recently released. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, but we didn't go into numbers. Assuming that landlords require you to have 40 times the monthly rent or a guarantor making 80 times the rent, that's the policy here in New York, um, you will have to be according you will have to make the following numbers. So to live in a studio, you have to make $102,360. Isn't that something? $102,000 to live in a studio. To live in a one bedroom, you have to make $137,000. To live in a two bedroom, you have to make $183,800. And to live in a three plus um, bedroom, you'll have to make $239,000. So I ask all of us, where else but in New York? Remember, the multiplier here is 40 times the rent. So what landlords don't want uh, people to do is spend most of their income, their net income, on rent. So they want to make sure that you have enough to live. But when you look at these numbers, let's just take a studio. Everybody knows what a studio is out there in listening land. $102,000. And that, that's a median rent of $2,500 per month. So it's kind of scary when you think about it and uh, limits people who want to come into this town and live and work and carry on. So joining me this morning is my panel, Parul Brambat, Niall Lundgren, Rachel Altschuler, Phil Horrigan, Ivy Ray, and Deborah Hoffman. Good morning to everybody. Good, good morning, morning, everyone. And everybody's in the studio. What a good morning that is. <laughs> it's potty time. Wow. Hey, I want to say those numbers are kind of low. Well, is, is what I want to say because I'm average. currently looking for a new place, and you know it's crazy just to even get. Anyway, the numbers are you know on the low end is all I'm saying. Yeah, well, those are average numbers, so they're going to be a little crazy. higher. They're going to be a little lower. And don't forget, guarantors are eighty times the monthly. Yeah, yeah. it's no joke. It's no joke. Maybe we should define a guarantor, and who could be a guarantor? Take it away, Deb. Oh, I thought you were going to. <laughs> A guarantor Seriously. could be a parent, a very close relative. They don't want your best friend or they don't want, you know, a third cousin twice removed. It's someone who has to make a significant amount and be a relative because they just – the landlords just feel that there's more trust involved there. And like you said, they have to make 80 times that. And if you have a guarantor from out of state, okay, here in New York, they look at New Jersey and Connecticut as the same state. But way out of state, someplace in the Midwest, some – place even out of the country, sometimes you may have to pay your rent up front. Correct. And we, I just had a situation yeah. with uh, a rental applicant uh, this pa- uh, last end of last week. But it, it, it's interesting because these numbers, the rental market today is becoming a lot more difficult to succeed in to live here than the sales market is, and that's saying something. All right, so I just asked both uh, Jason and Michael Graves, you know, about their typical day. We are very busy real estate agents, so and we're constantly running and running from appointment to appointment. 
How do you plan your typical day? And and do you start at home? I mean, do you do some work at home in the morning before you leave the house? I mean, I know I do. I spend about 20 minutes to sometimes 45 minutes to an hour on either my iPad or my iPhone, and I'm answering at least 10 to 15 emails that come in overnight that are urgently needed, and then I sort of start planning my day, and then I run out the door, and here it begins. But do you guys start working at home at all, or do you just leave it for when you leave I mean, to when you get to the office. I definitely do a good portion of my of my morning at home. And half the time I get up and do all these practices, half the time I hit the computer after all of that because mm-hmm. it's, you know, damn right abusive to do it before I do my things. And half the time I'm still in my robe with no makeup on. So sometimes I really screw up. <laughs> Me too. It's important to sort of I, – I think it's important to get in the shower. If you're a girl, you put on your makeup, you get ready for the day. <laughs> then you hit the computer. So when things start firing, you can run out the door. But Pearl's next to me shaking her head. I'm really yeah. guilty of sometimes – you know, Vince, because Vince and I work together. You know, sometimes it's – one o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm like, God, I'm still at home on the computer. So can't get away. It's a tricky thing, yeah. but I love being at home to work. So I'm not one who's in the office every day of the week by any stretch. I think it works you know. when you need some quiet time, and for me, it's mornings. But I don't know that I'm the type of person that can be there in the afternoon or into the evenings. I just get you too need crazy. the people, you need the office. I need the people, I need the office. But I in the morning, the though, yeah. while I'm sipping my first couple of sips of coffee, though, I do need my space. I do need my quiet and. I need to think about how my day is going to start because the minute I walk in the door, my door is bombarded with I have yep. one guest after the next, after the next, after the next, and then I need to try and get my own work done. What continues to inspire you, though, as seasoned agents? I mean, I just asked this of Michael Graves. Is it money? Is it power? Or is it is it position in the industry? I mean, let's all be honest. You know, we can make a lot of money in this business. You can have a very high profile uh, in this business and position become powerful. But what is it that inspires each of you as you wake up every morning and hit the streets and say, okay, today's another day in my life. Thank God I have that. And I'm out the door to work. What's inspirational? Um, It's Phil. I would say that for me, it's never been about... (laughs) Good morning, Phil. Good morning. No, it's Uh, it's Ivy. Um, it's never been about money, honestly. Uh, and that's, that's actually why I think I've left so many jobs because it's always been about, I think probably two things, constantly learning as long as I'm constantly learning and having real impact. And if I could combine those two things in a job, then I'm happy. And real estate, it continues to be, and for a very long time has combined both of those things. You feel like you're having real impact on people by helping them get a home, you know, which is a very important part of their life. And um, you're constantly learning. You know, every day you learn something else. And that's also why I did start leasebreak.com, just to get into the next venture, to just do something totally different, to have impact in a new way by helping people get out of their leases, get into a lease. And God, am I learning so much doing that. You know, so that, that's, uh, that's, that's my answer. I think that you can make a lot of money doing anything that you love. So I, I'm going to say that everyone on this panel, it's not about the money and fame and power because I, I know every one of you so well. For me personally, it's it's the freedom. Maybe not for one. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's one of us. It's okay to say. Yeah, let's all be really straight. Yeah. You know, I, listen, I was a dog walker for a year when I lost my job after September 11th, and I made six figures walking yeah. dogs in yeah. New York City. So <laughs> I can make a lot of money doing anything. For me, it's the yes, freedom. Yes, I was just going to say And that. it's mm-hmm. also every day is different. Mm-hmm. And that is the beauty. And you meet so many different people, and you, it's just so much stimuli 
every day, all day. I was going to say the same thing Rachel did, which always, is, we of course, we thing. always do. That's I was right. like, it's gratitude towards the freedom and lifestyle was going to be my answer because I'm so grateful to just be able to sort of you know, make my days and my weeks look the way I want them to look like. Mm -hmm. um, not always, but we still have so much more flexibility than any, you know, nine to five or what is now eight to seven p.m. jobs out there, you know. And um, and I think that it's it's that it's the malleability of of the way I, I get to shape my career and also the people and the interaction and just, you know, the constant ever-changing landscape of what it is that we do and who we go to meet. And and I think, you know, I know you were sort of talking a little bit over the break about, you know, what else we do. And I think that it sort of melds into all kinds of our lifestyle, like where we go vacation or what we do. It all sort of becomes part of our career. Mm -hmm. I, I like the words impact as Phil just used, and I also like to make a difference in my day. It's not necessarily for me about the money, although, yes, I agree with some of us that <laughs> money is very important, and that's, I think, uh, you know, important for us to, to live. But I like to make a difference in, in, in someone's life, at least one person's life every day, and that's really a true goal of mine. If I can't wake up, go through my day, come home, go to sleep without saying to myself, I made a difference in somebody's life, I disappoint myself, and I have lived by that rule for – um, you know, 30 years probably. I really do subscribe to that. I manage people. I have lots of customers, uh, friends, family, and I like to just once a day make a difference in somebody's life. And if I can't mm -hmm. do that, Including then I'm Including your dog's life too? Jed is <laughs> yeah. right on top there, of course. But she makes a difference with me. So, but yeah, the point you is, know, go yeah, ahead. I'm go sorry. Ahead. No, no, go, go. I want to join you in that, mm -hmm. you know, the aim of my life has been that my entire life. And this is not the forum for me to talk about what else I do, but real estate is just one of the things mm -hmm. that I do. And I honestly right. got in because I was in advertising. I did other things with my voice, et cetera. And the bottom of that fell out. So it was the first of the mm -hmm. real financial turns that we had. And I'm a single mother. So it was no joke, and I had a friend who owned a firm. So I went right into real estate and hit the ground running, never, you know. But the point is, is that one of the things that I knew, of course, I needed to make money. I have to make money, you know, I mean, like everybody else does. But it was that I could look at that industry and understand that everything I had been and almost everything that I do could actually be applied there. So you're able to work, you know, not only as a broker, but as a writer and as a consultant and as a, you know, I was able to use all the things, other things that I do mm -hmm. more than just helping people, which is what I'm kind of alive for. But the other thing I want to say just very quickly is that my aim is to continue to remain relevant. <laughs> and when I find myself sort of in that tailspin that can happen in real estate, as you well know, Vince, yeah. I pull out. Because it, for me, it's having quality clients, <clears throat> having, you know, and having quality access to quality, in a sense, deals and lives that makes it continue to be something that moves me. I think we're leaving out a really important word I just realized. Trust. I was going to say yeah. authentic. That is, I just realized because you said advertising. I was in advertising <clears throat> before I was a dog walker. <clears throat> September 11th killed that. Everyone lost their job. And I realized I was in account management and... My client didn't trust me. They didn't trust the entire agency. They didn't yeah. trust the team. No matter how long you work with them, that was my experience. And now I feel like our clients trust us not only with real estate, with a doctor referral, mm -hmm. with an attorney referral, with a plumber. You name it, they trust us. Yes. And after a decade, mm. for me, 14 years, they trust us with so much. And that is the best feeling 
I think what people don't understand in this industry or outside of the industry is the amount of trust that we do have in the people that we deal with every day for referrals like a doctor or a carpenter or whatever it may be, help them through a crisis. I mean, I've done so many things as we talked about, you know, uh, in the past, but this is the best thing that I have ever done and I hope to continue doing it until I don't need to work or want to work anymore. We are going to come back after this break and continue to talk about um, what makes us successful and also what we do in our spare time to have fun. We will be right back. Don't go away. Oh, yeah. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. We are back, everybody, and we're talking to Perul, Nile, Rachel, Phil, Ivy, and Deborah. So here we go. In a city where hundreds of interesting happenings occur each week, it can be hard to pick and choose your way to a fulfilling life. On a typical day off, what do you like to do most? We are New Yorkers. We work very hard. We're all successful. What do we like to do most? This is Nile. <laughs> this is Nile. <laughs> and everybody's no pointing doubt at about me, it, which which I find quite amusing because I don't know if I ever take a day off. Um, and, and the question is, you know, what do you do on your day off? I mean, for me, if I do have a day off, it's everything from just organizing my life because I kind of terrorize my life. Um, when I'm working so hard and then I get home and I'm just like, eh, whatever, I'm not going to do anything. So like I would organize things that that's how I like, you know, clear my mental space. Um, and then go to the gym and maybe hang out with some friends, but nothing crazy. Um, and that's, that's like a lot of what I've been doing in the winter. I think in the summertime it changes where, you know, you could, you could leave the city and, you know, you could actually be outdoors and open. But, you know, as of, as of right now at the tail end of the winter and as we, you know, uh, come into the spring and summer, I think that would be my answer. Anyone else? I mean, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I I like to do the same thing. I need to spend sometimes a day <coughs> just to collect my own thoughts, collecting and to, yourself, yeah. collecting myself, and to just look around my apartment and think, okay, so I need to do this. I need to do that because I haven't been around this apartment very I much. I think so. Ivy and I go hug trees, do yoga and meditation. <laughs> oh, I think yeah, we're gonna speak man. for both of us on yeah, this one. <laughs> big time. You but do. I also love we do. My favorite thing in life. One of my favorite things. She's. I'm with her all the way, as she knows. Yes. But I think, and as I ask people, and if you read articles, I think uh, food. 
Brunch. Food is so big for me. I never have Brunch the time to eat. Brunch I find eating Brunch utilitarian. I carry crap around in my purse and I eat, try, yes, I eat healthy as I run around. <laughs> yes, you know, you I've do. always got like <laughs> an avocado, almonds, figs, whatever. But one of my favorite things in life is to be with people, go shopping in our great stores in Manhattan and go cook or meet someone for dinner. It is just one of my mm-hmm. favorite things in life to do. And how, I will then walk there and walk home. Which how, is about, my how about this one? Spending t- <laughs> As realtors, we spend a lot of time outside, but we're always rushing to and from. But how about in your downtime and your spare time? I like to just sometimes go outside yes. and just be outside. Yes. That's what I do. And breathe it all in. And yes. even if I stand on the street corner looking like a fool, I just think, wow, I'm in the greatest city in the world, yeah. my favorite city in the world. Yep. And I just want to take it all in because I have 10 minutes or 30 minutes to just do that. Well, my tradition is also the first day that we get that's over 75 degrees. So my (laughs) clients and anybody else who's hearing this right now, that's the day I call everybody and I say, sorry, can't work today. And that's the day I make a little picnic and I go to Central Park. (laughs) And that is my Zen space. So going to Central Park and just watching the whole entire universe walk past us because that is the one place in New York, whether you are a homeless person or a billionaire, you're going to walk through Central Park, mm-hmm. especially in those first few days of spring. Oh, yeah. it's extraordinary. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite yeah. things. We know, every summer, summer's kind of calm down real estate-wise in the city, especially in August. It gets very hot. It gets very humid. And a lot of people leave town. But yeah. I like to stay in town mm-hmm. because the city empties out. And it's so nice when it's quiet. New, New York City. New York, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. New York City. Um, what, what's interesting, though, is um, what my husband and I do every summer is we pick one thing we love to do in the city and wear it to death. Mm-hmm. Like we'll pick one cuisine and hit, try to hit every restaurant that has That's that cute. cuisine for the summer. So last summer, though, and I think this is going to be more of a tradition, we did walking tours, specifically of neighborhoods that we did not know or neighborhoods we knew in our youth that have changed dramatically because Manhattan is a living and breathing organic thing. And places that I was terrified to walk to in the 1970s, now people are bringing their children to the playgrounds there. (laughs) So... We did a lot of walking tours last summer and really learned not only the historical aspects, but things New Yorkers don't do. We don't look up. When you see people looking up at the giant buildings, ah, they're tourists and, you know, get out of my way. I got to walk fast. But when you actually pause and take a breath and look up, you appreciate and love our city even more between the architecture and And – Buildings are getting taller, so it's easy to just do that. I find no, I'm not even looking, looking at those. I'm looking yeah. at this point. I think you just have to <laughs> yeah. lay down on the sidewalk. I saw that yesterday. But I'm looking at the lower ones. Well, there's the whole shadow, the whole shadow controversy in Central Park because you're laying down on the the one of the great ones, and all the shadows from all the tall buildings are just going crazy. But aside from aside aside from that, though, you know. You somebody just said in the summertime they like to be here. Uh, I do too because you know sometimes you spend every weekend away, and you kind of miss what goes on here in the city from a cultural perspective. From you know just keeping up with friends, keeping up with family, and the fact that the city is kind of empty, uh, it's easier to get around. Although I did have a moment on Sunday when I was going to my here to my office to work on this program, 
and I got stuck in like 40 minutes traffic in a taxi because, of course, I didn't take the train because there were street fairs and parades and detours Just and the season. craziness. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I'm still thinking it's early in the season, but you know what? Beware out there because it has started and I was out of my mind. Actually, mm-hmm. online, I think it's 311. I have to double check. They have a list of every thinking. street yeah. fair, where yeah. it is, and you could plan around it. Yeah. <laughs> you need to. It is good the time to, to make your yes. plans before you get in a taxi. Well, the parades, mm-hmm. what day and what streets every parade runs on. Yeah. And I remember when I first started in real estate, I had a manager who said, there are five big parades that don't you ever, ever, ever have an open house on those days. If you're uh, if it's you're true. east side or west side because mm-hmm. people cannot get across town and many people do want to change their neighborhood. It's very true. And Sundays this time of the year are difficult. So for the listening audience out there who is not familiar with New York, it is the greatest city in the world, but it's also a cultural melting pot. And it's also a place where everybody needs to be and wants to be and does come to visit. Now, let's talk about New York a little bit. We're always talking about real estate. So what is it about, you know, this great city of all of ours that we live in? You know, really, you know, what is it? what makes it so special to us? I mean, I think we all have lots of reasons we love it and why we participate in it. But what makes it so special? For the listening audience out there who is listening from Europe or Southeast Asia or around the country here in the U.S. who don't know about us, what is so special about New York City? I think one of the greatest things about our city is the diversity. <laughs> so we diversity. have people from every single walk of life, from mm-hmm. every single ecological, I mean, economical background from all the different layers. People that don't have a lot of money can still survive here. It's getting more difficult. Mm-hmm. But along with that goes the food, the music, the fashion, mm-hmm. the dress, the languages The you know, you can. And we have all these little, in a sense, little cities that pay, pay tribute to most Ukrainian, Chinese, Japanese, Russian. You know, I mean, you can go Little Italy. You can go. So we have all these sections in New York where people are speaking the language and you can get the food. And I think that's a historical perspective (laughs) and you still see pockets of it. But I also think that there's almost like layers of different life. And and it's almost like, you know, like there's the busboys who work at the restaurants who live a specific life and lifestyle and go to certain places and have their things. And then there's like the the Upper East Side world. And then there's like the the downtown world. And then there's the hipster world. Like there's these all these worlds that aren't so separate. They're so intermingled and on top of each other. And yet it's almost like people only see the lane that they're in Mm -hmm. and they sort of function Mm -hmm. in that lane. And then there's I think there's a few of us who are, I think, in this room who just have this unique process and Real estate helps us do this, which is we get to cut across all those stratospheres and sort of experience them all from the inside and from the outside. So I think that that's like sort of the benefit of doing what we do is. But I really think that there's just these layers. It's almost like a layered cake of life, different lifestyles that exist in this city that oh, almost absolutely. that almost don't even touch each other. You know what I mean? Like people sort of live in their own little bubble, <laughs> so to speak. Are we as New Yorkers? Are we still setting trends, or, or are the trends coming into New York from foreign lands, from Europe, from other? parts of the country. Are we still the trend-setting city that we always used to be? It starts in New York first. I think so. And I go back to, you know, Connecticut where I'm from and I see people wearing stuff that I was wearing like a year or two ago or, <laughs> or you know, friends just, you know, from around the country, you know, seeing my Instagram and, and talking to me. You know, I have people in California like, hey, man, I got, I'm going to get a suit. What, what do you think I should do? You know, and it's just, and I'm like, I steer them in the right direction. You know, that's, that's my job. Duty as a New Yorker is to help out. <laughs> The rest of the the country and globe, for that matter, you know, in terms of trends, Vince. <laughs> it's a big responsibility. <laughs> it is. Listen, it's a bit. I, I love.
love this because I was just going to say, you know, with social, with social media and Facebook and everything, for people who know us but don't live in this fine city of ours, they see the way we dress. They see the way we look. They see where we go. They see how we hang out or whatever. And several friends also say to me, wow, yeah, what is that about? Or... You know, like you said, a year later, the the trend of what you're wearing today might might hit the suburbs. So, I mean, that's always been the way I've known it, but I haven't really paid attention lately. So I was wondering if it was still the same. It's very funny, too, because um, a few <clears throat> months ago, I went back to Los Angeles to my, I won't say the number, high school reunion. Uh-huh. Don't, quite don't a while say the ago. number. <laughs> yes. And it was so interesting because many of these people, we do have a high school class Facebook page, but some of these people I kept in touch with for many years in addition. And when I came there, everyone was waiting for me to come because they thought I was a celebrity just from being a New Yorker because there's a big difference between Los Angeles and New York. And they really believed back in Los Angeles that the trends are coming from here, that I was the trendsetter, which actually kind of made me laugh. But I had a great time (laughs) being an ambassador from our great city. I agree. And I have a cute story about that. But we are out of time as usual. We'll continue this next week. Yes, I know. That is Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for being here today, and we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.